This week, the Rural Roundup is bringing you something a little different. We've spoken to six diversified farm businesses across Scotland, asking them about their journeys, the conversations they had along the way, and the decisions they had to make. This week, we're going to hear the story of Jock Gibson from Edinvale Farm. Jock is a partner of Edinvale Farms and managing director of Macbeth's Butchers, both family-owned businesses. Jock grew up at Edinvale Farm, which is located just outside Dallas in Upland Murray, but he didn't go directly into agriculture. Jock instead went to the University of Manchester to study mechanical engineering and business studies, and then went on to work in Peterborough as a consultant engineer and studied a part-time MSc in Building Services Engineering at London South Bank University. In 2007, Jock came to the stark realisation that he was a rubbish engineer and decided to come home to run Macbeth's Butchers with the specific aim of developing the mail order side of the business. In 2015, Jock and his wife Fiona inherited Edinvale Farm and are now running it alongside the butchery business. Their purpose is to bring the farm closer to the consumer using the butchery, but also to move the farm to a more environmental and nature-sensitive position. Siobhan MacDonald, one of our FAS advisors and host of the podcast Crofting Matters, sat down with Jock at his kitchen table to find out more. Hi Jock, lovely to be here at Edinvale Farm, sitting around the farm table in your kitchen. Um, can you tell me a bit about all the different things you do here at Edinvale? I know you wear many hats. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Edinvale is a 100 acre farm. We rent in about another 200 acres. We are predominantly beef, so we have... 80 suckler cows, mixture of Highland and Shorthorn, with about 120 followers at the moment. We have a micro flock of Herdwick sheep with some cheviots thrown in there. We have a honesty shop at the end of the drive here. And we have our own butcher's business in Forest called Macbeth's. Wow, plenty to keep you busy. And how did you come to farm here? So dad and grandparents bought the farm in the mid-70s. Uh, at the time, dad was training to be an accountant and didn't really enjoy it and wanted to get into farming. So they, the opportunity came up here. Um, my wife and I inherited the farm in, the, in 2015. Um, both my parents died within fairly quick succession of each other. So we came here um, at that point. Who makes up the crew here running the farm? Um, so there's my wife and I, my wife Fiona um, and myself, plus we have three children here, Ayla, Tilly and Rory. And then on the farm, we've got our cattleman who is um, multi-talented um he's he's great with machinery and he's a fantastic fabricator as well so you know that's extremely useful we we run a lot of our own repairs here um and then we have a part-time casual worker here as well mal who comes in in a as and when basis and then down in the butcher shop we've got uh, five full-time butchers um plus a couple of admin staff as well 
Wow, that's quite a big uh, team. Does everything from the farm go to the butcher shop? Do do the two work together? Yeah, absolutely. So the farm is the, especially for beef, is the predominant supplier for for Macbeths. Um, in when we inherited the farm, we only had thirty suckler cows. So the last seven years has been about building up those numbers. We operate a fairly closed herd, so a lot of the heifers have been retained for breeding. So we have had to go to other farms to supply the butchery business. But now we're running up to the abattoir fortnightly with three beasts a fortnight from the farm, um, and you know that is providing. 90% of the beef that we sell in the in the butchery business. And do you sell any sheep through the through the shop? So we're just starting to sell some of the the lamb from the farm here through the butcher shop but we're very small numbers um on the farm here to to be providing for the butcher shop. A lot of the the mainstay of the lamb is provided by Fern Farm up in Tain. And then we also, we in the butchery business, we like to support other crofts, small holdings, other farms as much as we possibly can. So you know, we look out for, you know, specialist um, breeds, whether it's Hebridean Hoggett. Um, we're really fortunate to be working with a project up in Orkney who are trying to get the Orkney Borrowery um, breed really going again. And, and part of that is finding a sustainable outlet for, for the meat. So we're especially privileged to be involved with that. But it's part of a wider ethos of, of looking for the really good small producers that might only be producing once a year that we can then market to our customers um, as, a, as a specialist product. And have you chosen the breeds that you have here to suit what you're selling in the shop? We probably so a lot of the breeds that we have here, we and certainly on the beef we inherited. So the farm started out as a producer of Highland pedigree Highland cattle, um, of which Highland beef was a was a byproduct of that. As um, we got more involved with the butchery bit, so the parents bought the butchery business in the mid eighties, and as that developed we we needed a bigger carcass slightly bigger carcass and a more consistent carcass so the short horn was then introduced um on the farm aberdeen angus genetics were inherited um when my grandparents dispersed their their herd of aberdeen angus um but we are now the way that we farm here certainly suits highland and short horn more than aberdeen angus so the Aberdeen Angus that fit the system have stayed. Those that don't have gradually been culled out of the system. And what do you look for in your cattle to supply the butcher shop? I mean, is it the same as cattle that would get a high price in the fat ring? Do you have specific uh, aspects that you look for in confirmation? I'm probably almost at the polar opposite of what goes through the fat ring. So... Um, we're, we're not looking for an animal that has a huge back end, for example, you know, it's 
as an industry, we can be quite guilty of um, putting a lot of money into developing those beasts, those breeds and beasts. And but for our butchery business, it doesn't suit because, you know, we're making big muscled beasts with huge top sides and silver sides, which are one of the bits that are most difficult to sell. So we're looking for a relatively even confirmation from back to front. Um, we have no problem selling shoulder meat um, and what have you. In an ideal world, we'd be able to cut a sirloin steak at an inch thick and it would weigh eight ounces. And do you enjoy um, having the butcher shop as well as the farm? Um, <laughs> interesting question. Um, so before I came to the farm, I was working in the butcher shop full time. Uh, so I'd been prior to being up here, I was trying to work as a consultant engineer in Peterborough and then Glasgow. And it came to a point, well, there was two events that happened simultaneously. Um, Mum and dad were looking to sell the butchery business. And I sort of come to the conclusion that I was a rubbish engineer. So um, it, instead of selling the butchery business, um, I made a bid to keep it going for five years and see where we were at the end of that five years. And if everybody wanted to sell it at that point, then we would. And if not, then we'd we'd crack on. So it's quite good. It was quite good um, to hone the mind as to what we were doing. Um, as it happened, you know, ambition is one thing, reality is another. Um, we hit a very difficult time economically. It was the start of the of the um 2008 was Lehman Brothers or something around about that time so it was it was quite challenging trading um so I think five years turned into certainly eight anyway um and um but I I enjoy I now enjoy having the mix of both places to work and it is a huge privilege to um have a calf born at your feet and take it through its life on the farm um, and then see it at the other end in the butcher shop and you know all the the care attention and detail that goes into that process and journey not many people get to do it and it is a huge privilege yep I can understand that I've 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 only got a few sheep myself, but I sell lambs in boxes and it is really satisfying to get feedback on on how good the quality is or the tastiness and to know that it's it truly is a local product that you're selling. And you also become slightly masters of your own destiny. So, um, you know, I will get first-hand feedback from my head butcher if I put in a carcass that is substandard equally um i will get uh, feedback very quickly if it is an outstanding carcass and you know we we're in an industry where the feedback when things aren't quite right come back really quickly um but when things um do go right that maybe doesn't come forward quite so so well so it it is good that we see we see both sides of it and you know we can respond to consumer demands a lot quicker as well um by having 
by having control of the supply chain. And I see you're also trying to support uh, pork producers through what you're selling through the shop. Are you how how much time do you spend on product development and thinking of new consumer trends? The reality is we probably don't spend enough time. Um, so one of the one of the things that we also do is cut and pack for other businesses. Um, so for other crofts and farms so that they can have their own route to market um, it's you know we're sort of setting up people to be in competition to ourselves but equally um, I think it's important that we we support the industry as much as we can so that there's there's a critical mass in the industry um, I I get scared and worried that we'll lose too many people and that then means that abattoirs won't stay open, butchers won't stay open, and that industry fails to thrive. Um, we have a really exciting industry. So, you know, at the moment, pork industry is going through a really tough time. You know, we're not going to change the world, but we can maybe help highlight some of the plight and do our own wee bit to help support them. And do you manage the butcher shop as well as the farm here? Um, manage or interfere one or the other um, say so, yeah I mean I have a very good um, head butcher and I have a to say an office administrator wouldn't be doing um, her justice but I've got two two very good capable people down in the butcher shop who deal with much of the day-to-day and I I'll do most of the marketing I suppose and um, maybe look at you know more of a strategic um, direction with the butchery business. So, um, as I say, I'm lucky that I don't have to be there every day, and I can I can sort of flip between the the two businesses, as it were. Where do you get support from for the butchery side? Is there a, a guild of butchers? Is there an association that you can get advice and help from? Yeah, we're lucky in that we've got two organisations that support the industry. So the first would be the Scottish Federation of Meat Traders Association, or Craft Butchers, as I think they're now called. Um, and they provide us with sort of day-to-day um, assistance in you know whether it's HR or legal advice they will do an element of marketing on behalf of the industry as well we're also a member of the Scotch Butchers Club which is run by Quality Meat Scotland and we get quite a lot of information from from Gordon at the um, Scotch Butchers Club about market trends you know where the industry is going what other things are, are going on so you know, we use both of those to to good effect. We're uh, certified um, pasture for life um, on both the farm and the butchery business. And again, there's a lot of support that comes through them as well. And in farming, where's your support network? Who do you call on? <laughs> um, I'm lucky that um, I can call on a number of other farmers and and ask the daft laddie questions they almost expect it now so that's quite good but um maybe for more professional advice um you know we do 
get help from uh, SAC um, Consulting in the office in Elgin here. Um, again, the industry development team at Quality Meet Scotland, um, Pasture for Life as well, um, Soil Association. So I think the industry is is blessed that there are a number of different organisations out there um, helping support uh, farmers and the industry. I think we maybe need to be better at looking for that advice and, and asking the questions. We're not always that great at asking the asking the stupid questions. You mentioned pasture for life there. What is involved in being a pasture for life farmer? So I guess it's it's almost the name is on the on the tin. It's um so it's recognition of the fact that uh in this in our case our beef cattle are only fed on grass and forage um, for the entirety of their lives. Um, there are other aspects to it as well. It's uh, maybe some people would see it as a halfway step to being organic as well. So there's there's some of the standards are similar. Um, for us, the reason we went for it was we were already heading in that direction. And my ethos on the farm here is to be as resilient as possible. Um, you know, so that if if fertilizer triples in price, you know we're not as exposed to that that shock in the business. The pasture for life helps us think in a more resilient manner. Um, so, yes, it's recognition for the way we're um, the way that we're farming, but it's also a very progressive standard, so that it does it does maybe sort of push you a bit more to to thinking how you farm in a more natural way, I guess. With Pasture for Life, you must have to think forward and have plans in place because you can't just rely on buying and feed to, to suddenly improve weight gain and have animals ready when you want them. It's technically more challenging. Yeah, it, it probably is. And I think um, you certainly don't have the safety net of just being able to um, phone up your favorite feed merchant and order, you know, a lorry load of, of whatever your favorite feed is. So uh, you do have to think a bit more about it. You are having to plan a bit more. Um, but that said, it's 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 maybe less physical input and maybe more mental input um it's it's quite an exciting way of farming um it's it's certainly not for the faint-hearted if it goes wrong um but you know we are it's it's making us look at our best asset on farm which is our soil and our pasture and how we turn that into a really good high quality protein and you know there's there's tools that we can use if it does go slightly wrong. You know, we can destock slightly, and we've done that to an element this year. You know, we one of the things that we did at the start of this year was make the decision not to use any fertilizer. Um, now, that's that's great. I don't have a fertilizer bill to pay, but I am looking at maybe a third less silage in the in the stack, 
Um, and I am going to have a slight shortage of feed. So therefore, we have, we've culled hard this year. We sold a heap of store animals. Um, but in the grazing ground, I haven't grown any less grass. You know, I'm still growing as much grass on you know, ground that hasn't seen fertilizer for two or three years now as the ground that grew had fertilizer last year. So it's from that point of view, it's it's quite refreshing. It's it's very liberating because I don't have this you know, I've got ninety nine problems, but a fertilizer bill isn't one of them. Um I guess. So it, you know, it's having opening your mind a bit and having a look at different different things that people are doing in their farming operation it it does make it more exciting and it does just give you a few more options why not go fully organic we might get there yet um it may be that's that's where we end up one of the challenges that we have is that we do rent in a lot of ground um, and we don't have it for 12 months of the year so we're on a lot of seasonal grazings so that might cause an issue for organic certification the reality is I probably haven't done enough research into it you know we've we've had quite a big shift this year in how we farm um, and you know we're taking on another farm next year if everything works out so we'll have another big shift so we need to see how things settle down. Um, but yeah, we're definitely heading more in that direction. Um, I think one of the, it's a fine line between staying resilient and keeping your options open. Um, so I I like the way Pasture for Life helps us to think. Um, but equally, there may be something we want to do that organic would stop us from doing um so but I, I say that from a point of view of ignorance of the organic standards really and from a marketing point of view do you think that you would sell more in the shop if you were organic i think um we don't get a huge amount of people asking for organic at the moment we have people who are very concerned with how animals are fed. You know, they want grass-fed beef. Um, they maybe don't look at the nuance between how much is grass-fed, um, you know, and I think there's there's a bit of a challenge in that. But we, customers will use words like natural, um, you know, free-range, they may use organic. Um, I wouldn't have said it's a word we hear as often as we did maybe five or six years ago. Um, but I, th I think there's so many other things that have come in that organic's fighting in a crowded place. And do you sell, do you sell your beef anywhere else? So the vast majority of our beef goes to hotels and restaurants. Um, so that makes up about 70% of our business. Um, mail order is a big part of what we do. And we have a small retail shop down in Forest, plus the Honesty Shop up in up at the farm as well. We do supply one or two farm shops. And this year we sold some store animals as well for the first time. 
And did you say that you were in charge of marketing? How? What's your marketing strategy? Um, <laughs> as much as we have a strategy. Um, yes, I mean, normally that um, falls under my remit. Um, and we're very lucky in that we have a very loyal following. Um, we are lucky in the crofts and farmers that we work with that that draws in new customers as well. And really, the strategy is to keep engaging with them. Um, not too much. We don't want to switch them off. But we do want to keep them interested, um, keep them up to date with what we're doing. We use social media a lot, um, direct mailings um, a lot. And, you know, it's it's nice that you can quantify the, the effects of doing these things. Before, when you just bunged an advert in a newspaper, you wouldn't know what effect that had. But online marketing, you can work out where the return on the investment is. And what's next for your business? What do you see yourself doing five years' time? <laughs> um, I hope on the farm we will we'll have a period of stability. You know, we've gone through a lot of change in the last seven years. Um, I would like to see our, our genetics um, sort of settled down a wee bit, the, the land area that we're farming settled down a wee bit, um, and maybe that will allow us to do some other projects. We're looking at investing in a new farm shop um, here at the farm, which will be a bit more secure, a bit more self-service. Um, again, looking at how we boost uh, biodiversity and nature options on the farm um, is a big thing for us. The butchery is a slightly different kettle of fish. Um, I am worried uh, about the future as to where we're going with energy prices. Um, we are far from being in a stable environment at the moment, um, you know, environmentally, politically. Um, so that's a, that's a massive concern. But I, again, I would like to think we are continuing to support our crofters and farmers um, and providing a service to them. I would like to be seeing us grow our online business. Um, I think that's an important part of what we do. And continuing to service the hotels and restaurants that have been a massive support to us over the years. Who have been your key influencers in your life so far? <laughs> um yeah, I mean, the my parents would have to be up there with the the top of them, and you know, it's it's very. There's a lot of things you come to um, where you would just like to be able to pick up the phone and have a chat with them. That's obviously not possible, um, you know. And it it can be whether it's a farming decision, a business decision, or you know, what what they think of you know, what's going on in the world and just those those conversations. So, um, you know, that's, it's difficult not having them around, but at the same time, it is what it is. Um, my wife's very good at keeping me grounded, um, which is is awesome. Um, but, you know, there's, there's people within the industry um, who are just have been, generous with their support and advice um and 
you know you can pick up the phone to them uh, on a pretty regular basis and you get an honest answer it might not be what you want to hear but um you know it's it's good so you know i rely a lot on john up at fern he's been he's been very kind over the years and um yeah so i've been lucky in that respect and are the next generation of gibsons interested in farming are they showing signs of that yet um potentially um so ayla who's 10 is quite keen to be a vet i'm not quite sure where that one's coming from could be quite a handy addition right enough um rory is definitely the the petrol head um it'll be interesting whether we've still got tractors in 10 years time but um that might put play to his plans and tilly in the middle is going to be a ballerina and a dog professional dog walker so um you know i'm 43 i think at the moment um you know fiona's just turned 40 we've got a bit of time to build for the next generation if that's what they want to do you know it's i'm very open i'd be delighted if they want to come into farming equally i'd be delighted if they find their own niche and place in the world and we have the opportunity to support them to do that and you know we can we can adjust what we do here to suit how did the honesty shop the we shed come into place um say at the start of covid when nobody could leave their houses and um what have you the local village we live just outside a village called dallas there was a number of people pulling together to provide essential foodstuffs for for folks so that they didn't have to leave um and so there were people getting bread there were people getting veg and we had a delivery van running up to the black isle each once a week and so we were getting milk from the black isle dairy there um because that was one of the items that folk were struggling to get so we were bringing in milk and then delivering it around the village um for a number of years fiona had wanted a bake box at the end of the drive so we decided to combine the two we bought um the last shed that was available on the internet um during covid um and some fridges and then just stocked it with the essentials so produce off the farm using other local producers to um, help support them during a difficult time partly but also to make it easy for people to come and you know get get the essentials um, that they might need to make an evening meal or you know get the loaf of bread the pint of milk whatever it might be um, and it was also a sort of proof of concept if it would work in that format does it give us the confidence to then go and build something bigger, better, invest in vending machines and, and so on and so forth? So if you'd like, I'm very happy to come and show it to you. Um, you can go and have a, have a wee nosy around in it. Absolutely. Jock, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this bonus episode of the Rural Roundup. You can find out more about the businesses and the people featured through the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this story, please share it with others that you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel to get our regular fortnightly episodes as soon as they're released.
the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.